0: I'm so excited to be here tonight. I don't know about you, but we're moving to Sundays. I'm excited. Y'all, this is one of the last Tuesday nights before Sunday. I am excited. I am so honored to be sharing the word tonight. For those of you that don't know, Pastor John is preaching in Chicago, so prayers for him. But I am just so grateful that he gave me the opportunity to share tonight, and I'm so grateful for all of you for coming on a cold Tuesday night. So today, I'm jumping right into the message, y'all. We're not wasting time. We're going to be in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4. Who even reads 2 Kings? Right. We're going to be in 2 Kings 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen behind me. And fair warning, it is a long passage. So I'm going to take my time. 2 Kings 4. Verses 8 through 17. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down. He said to his servant Gehazi, Call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, Tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, She has no son, and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for this word that you've spoken to me and that you've placed on my heart for the young adults tonight. Would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to receive this word from you? And would we leave this place looking a little bit more like you and with a little more faith and a little more hope? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you have your own room? If you have a sibling you have to share a room with, I'm so sorry. And if you're married, yikes, sorry. (laughs) You're never gonna have your own room again. So I have my own room. Luckily, I've had my own room pretty much my whole life, except for like two years in college. Dorm life sucks. Anyways, (laughs) so I've had my own room my whole life. I had a room at my grandma's house. Maybe if your parents are divorced, you had two rooms, one at your mom's house, one at your dad's house. And I don't know about you, but my room is my sanctuary. Like, your room is sacred. After a long day, all you want to do is go to your room, take off your shoes, put on pajamas, watch Netflix. If you have anxiety, you're like, oh, finally I can take this mask off. I can be myself. Having your own room is special. It's sacred. And the Shunammite woman understood this. If we go back to verse 9, we see that it says, She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way, is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. A bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. My sermon tonight is a message on faith. Look at your neighbor and say faith. What is faith? Faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Hebrews 11.1 tells us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith. And if you didn't know, there's two forms of faith. There's liquid faith and solid faith. And I know that sounds weird, so I'll switch it up for you. There's fluid faith and firm faith. Think of it like water. H2O can be liquid. It can be solid. It can be ice. So fluid faith, fluid faith, fluid faith is flexible. It adapts to its circumstances. If I have a cup and another cup and one has water, I can put the water in the other cup and the water is gonna take the shape of that second cup. It's flexible. It's this or that. It adapts to its circumstances. We find an example of this in Daniel 3 with the story of the three Jewish men. Daniel 3, 15 through 18 reads, now when you hear the sound of the horn, Flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe. Y'all, those are weird instruments, but all kinds of music. If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. He can and he will. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. But how many of your prayers sound like this? God, I know that you can do this. Actually, God, you will do this, but let me not get too confident. Even if you don't do it, God, it's okay. Liquid faith. Liquid faith. It comes with a but. God might come through, but he might not. This allows our faith to remain intact. Liquid faith is safe faith. You don't put God on the line. You don't test God. Because what if he doesn't come through? And then there's firm faith firm faith like ice it can't be molded but it can be crushed this form of faith is dangerous we find an example of this in joshua 10 joshua 10 12 through 14 reads on the day the lord gave the amorites over to israel joshua said to the lord in the presence of israel sun stand still over gibeon and you moon over the valley of ajalon talk about audacious faith Sun stand still. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. Son, stand still. That was the only option that Joshua gave God. And it happened. The sun stood still. Firm faith is the type of faith that we see in 2 Kings with Elisha. Elisha says, about this time next year, I don't know about you, but if I was a prophet and I was going to tell a woman that she was going to have a baby, I would not be so exact. I would not say about this time next year. I'd probably say in a few years, you will get pregnant. In a couple of years, I can see you having a baby. Maybe God will come through for you on this. But Elisha says, by this time next year, no wiggle room, no wiggle room for God Y'all, you carry a baby for nine months. He just told this lady, you have three months to get pregnant. Three months. You told me you have no son. You've probably been trying your whole life. And now I'm telling you it's going to happen in the next three months. Firm faith. Elisha had firm faith. And let's be honest, that's hard. Fluid faith can't be crushed. That's why we cling to fluid faith. But God calls us to have both fluid faith and firm faith. The Shunammite woman responds, no, my Lord, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. And I'm sure we respond like this a lot of times when God tells us something, when God promises us something. If a prophet has ever told you anything, you're like, ooh, God, please don't be true. Why? Why? Because it's embarrassing if you receive a word and then you don't see it come to pass. It's embarrassing. We'd rather accept disappointment than experience it. And that's my first point tonight. We would rather accept disappointment than experience it. We think that by accepting disappointment, we're avoiding it. But by accepting disappointment, the only thing that we're avoiding is the miracle. Despite her hesitance, by that time next year, the woman held a son. Tell your neighbor the title of my sermon tonight, by this time next year. By this time next year. By this time next year. I don't know about you, but I've lived in Florida my whole life. And that means there's hurricane season every year. And so what do you do when you know a hurricane's coming? Right. Y'all are smart. You prepare for it. (laughs) You buy your water. You buy your snacks. You buy your candles. You buy your flashlights because you know the storm is coming. And don't you dare be that person that in the middle of the hurricane, you're checking if Walmart is open. Like, you knew it was coming. You should have prepared yourself. You should have prepared yourself. Oof. Y'all, I'm nervous. (laughs) You have to prepare. In order for God to do something, we have to do something. When we expect something, we prepare for it. And this leads me to my point what are you doing now for your then? What are you doing now for your then? If you're expecting something to happen, what are you doing? Are you just sitting around? Are you doing nothing, thinking it's just going to happen without you doing anything? You prepare for it. The Shunammite woman understood this. And she created a room for Elisha before he did the miracle. In fact, she made a room for him without even knowing that he would do a miracle in her life. Did you know that when you make room for God, he shows up? God shows up when you make room. If we go back to verse 10, the Shunammite woman says, put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. There was no Target, no Walmart, no Ikea. She did not go to rooms to go. <laughs> she did not go to Ashley Furniture. Back then they were carpenters. When she says a bed, a table, a chair, she, she's building these things. She's telling her husband, y'all, let's build this. Let's take our time Let's take our resources. Let's take our, sac- our everything. Let's sacrifice. We're gonna build a whole room for a man that we don't even know because I wanna make room for him. The original text is in Hebrew and the word that they use for wall translates to permanent shelter, permanent shelter. She did not set up a tent. She did not make up the guest bed. She made a permanent room. A permanent room. Have you made permanent space for God in your life? Have you made a permanent space for God? And I don't mean that sometimes you let him in. I mean, do you wake up in the mornings and pray? Do you read your word in the evening and allow the words to come to life? Do you sit in silence, no matter how awkward it can be, and wait for God to speak to you? Or do you get up after five minutes and say, God must not want to speak to me, but it's because you lack patience. Do you make room for God? Do you have a permanent space for God? Elisha wouldn't have been able to stay if she didn't prepare a room for him to stay in. Going back to verse 13, Elisha says, you've gone to all this trouble for us. He realizes she's sacrificed. Now what can be done for you? And this is just a side note. Did you know that your generosity puts God in a position where he wants to give to you? Elisha said she did all of this. What can be done for her? Sometimes God wants to show off. But we're too afraid to put him in that position because we think he'll disappoint us. Anyways, that's not even what I'm preaching on. This leads me to my next idea. Extraordinary moves begin with ordinary acts. All she did was prepare a room, y'all. She didn't make an altar. She wasn't sacrificing animals. She wasn't chanting some weird chants and hymns with blood sacrifices. She prepared a room. That's something you and I can do. You and I can make space. We know how to do that. Are you making space for God? When I first learned how to ride a bike, I was pretty scared. I was like, okay, how does this work? There's only two wheels. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to fall to the side. And my dad said, well, all you have to do is pedal. Just move your feet a little bit and the bike is going to take you from point A to point B. And it's similar in our relationship with God. If you move just a little bit, if you put just some weight on your feet, you can trust that God is going to carry you from place to place. Preparing a room is an ordinary act. Riding a bike is an ordinary act. It's what God can do after. It's what God can do after. The woman noticed that Elisha was a holy man and she prepared a room because she expected him to pass by often. Earlier I stated that we expect something and we prepare for it. I'm gonna take that just a little bit further and say that your experience will be determined by your level of expectation. Your experience will be determined by your level of expectation. In a book by Lisa Bevere, she writes, your concept of God will be reflected in you. Your God perceptions will ultimately be reflected in the life you live and the choices you make. Your concept of God will be reflected in you. Why didn't the Shunammite woman ask for a child? Did she forget she didn't have kids? I mean, that's sort of a hard thing to forget. Like, if you have kids, you know you have kids. Back then, kids were important. If you didn't have kids, you were full of shame. You were full of guilt. That was embarrassing. Where is your legacy? Where is your security? I'm pretty sure she wanted a kid. So why didn't she ask for one? He said, what can I do for you? And she didn't ask for a son. I don't know about you, but that's sort of weird. You want something so bad. You try for years, and yet the man that can make it happen is asking you, what do you want from God? And then you don't say anything. I believe that the woman was afraid of disappointment. Like many of us, when we don't ask God for things that we know we so desperately want, It's because we are scared of God not coming through for us, of God not showing up. Why ask God for this if it's not going to happen? I'm pretty sure that's what the woman was thinking. But you can't let your fear of disappointment keep you from asking God for a miracle. You can't let your fear of disappointment keep you from asking God for a miracle. I said this earlier, we'd rather accept disappointment than experience it. But by doing this, we avoid the miracle. Now, growing up, I hated the word promise. I promise I'll be your friend forever, yeah, right. I promise we'll be together forever, yeah, right. I promise I'll call you tonight, yeah, right. (laughs) Literally. And the reason I hated the word promise is because most of the promises that were given to me ended up being broken. And so over time, someone would promise something to me, and my mind would automatically switch promise to maybe. I promise I'm going to call you tonight. Okay, maybe they're going to call me tonight. I promise I'm going to go to the movies with you. Okay, maybe they're going to go to the movies with me. And what's so dangerous about that is that eventually, I started doing this when God would speak to me. God would say, Eva, you're loved and chosen. Maybe. Eva, I'm calling you to be an author. Ooh, maybe. Eva, you're going to be a counselor. I promise you're going to be a counselor and I have this plan. Oh, that sounds nice. Maybe. You're going to speak one day, Eva. Oh, okay. Maybe. And it got to the point that everything God told me, I just said, okay, God, maybe. Because what if you say, okay, God, yes. And then it doesn't happen. I would tell myself that it wasn't a promise. Because if it wasn't a promise, then I couldn't get mad when it didn't happen. I would forget about it. I would begin to live as if God didn't make me a promise. Because then, no problem, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But what's so dangerous about that is that if you forget that God has made you a promise, you live as if there's no promise. When you forget that God has made you a promise, you live as if there is no promise. I want you to look back on your life and think about the promises that God has made you. Are there any promises that you've been waiting to be fulfilled? Maybe he gave it to you this year, last year. Maybe it's been five years and you're like, okay, that's not gonna happen. And so you forget he made the promise. What has he promised you? What has he called you to? What has he told you? That your mind without even thinking about it said, okay, I'm just gonna assume that that promise is a maybe. A bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. That's the only thing she sacrificed. And by that time next year, the woman held a son What will you sacrifice for your miracle? Will it be your talents? Will it be your resources, your money? Will it be your time? Will it be your comfort? What do you have to do now so that by this time next year, you can see that promise come to life? What do you have to do now so that by this time next year, those promises could come alive in your life? By this time next year, I don't know if you believe it, but I believe it. God wants to do something in your life, and I know that he's given you promises. I know there has to be at least one promise that he's given you. Can you hold on to it? Can you remember it? Can you forget the maybe in your mind and say this is yes and amen by this time next year? Would you stand on your feet tonight? I don't know your story, I don't know who you are, but I know that God has promises over your life. Maybe you aren't doing so well academically right now, you're in school and you're not doing as good as you wished, but by this time next year, maybe you're struggling with an addiction, whatever that may look like, by this time next year. Maybe you just received a scary diagnosis. Maybe a loved one received a scary diagnosis and you think this is it. There's no way this is changing. By this time next year, maybe you feel lonely and you think no one's ever gonna love me. I'm never gonna have friends. That relationship I'm longing for is never gonna happen. By this time next year, Maybe it's finances, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's your calling. By this time next year, do you believe enough for it? Do you have faith enough for it? Not fluid faith, but firm faith by this time next year. Saying it and actually believing it instead of saying it like it's just a maybe. By this time next year.